Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, September 13th. I almost said August. I want to go back to August. I don't want summer to be over yet. It's September 13th. It's a Tuesday. That means it is time for the Power Hour. I've got the team from Pittsburgh Power. I think we're switching up a little today. I think we're replacing Leroy with JR today, so we've got a treat there. We'll find out what's on their mind, then we'll get to your calls and questions, so line them up. 855-950-3835. Also going on today, I'll be doing an episode of The Pit uh, probably a little different today. I still haven't heard from uh, John or Stanford about whether they're joining me or not. I don't have a lot today. The pit, I normally have to do quite a bit of prep. I've got a couple topics I'm going to throw out, talk a little bit about, and if we get calls, we get calls. If not, might be a short one today. I am working on kind of redoing that show. I'm not sure what that means yet, but... Um, kind of a, an odd segment. It's I, I could do politics every day. It would make me crazy if I did. Um, when I'm only doing it once a week, it's hard to decide. Do I take a deep dive into one topic? Do I cover the six topics I was following that week? And it's a lot of work. It's more work than all of my other segments. So um, I'm trying to decide what I want to do with that show. I like it. Uh, but I'm not happy with the format that it's in right now. So today we'll just kind of wing it. We'll throw it out there, see what happens. If you have anything you want to talk about politically, today's the day. So we'll do that later on. Right now, it's all about your truck. You have questions about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone. Calls are starting to come in, so jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Looks like we'll, uh, we will, let me check to see what's going on here. There we go. We're going to bring Bruce in first. Bruce, I'm guessing this is you on this line. Welcome. This is me. All right. And I'm in a tunnel on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I don't know how you can hear me, but I can hear you. Well, I can hear you now. So let's uh, let's see what happens. If we lose you in the tunnel, we'll get you back. What's on your mind okay. this week? Oh, we could. Oh, I guess, you know, I get a lot of phone calls on gearing every week. Uh, you think that we sold gears. And, and by the anyway, I yesterday didn't want to believe me that perfect gear for him is 253 and he said but i don't want to lose my acceleration i don't want to lose my pulling fire on the hill <sighs> so i was on my way to an appointment and we talked for almost 15 minutes and uh he just couldn't get over that running in direct gear and i said would well, you do you listen to the radio show he said sometimes but i i really don't have time for that i'm too long <laughs> you know? now we're taking time and trying to explain everything so i said here's angie's phone number call angie and get matt's number matt runs a 253 with a caterpillar you've got a cat talk to matt about it and so matt i uh hope he called you and i hope you don't mind and i hope you were able to explain it to him 
Yeah, you know, I, I we have been talking about this since the first time we started talking about gears and drive lines and specking. And as soon as we started going to lower numbers, higher and faster gear ratios, everybody's response was, it's never going to pull. I'm not going to get up the hills. What they're forgetting is there is a transmission in there. They seem to think that the engine is connected to the differentials, and when you change that gear, you're screwed. We've got 9, 10, 12, 13, 15, 18 gears in there we get to pick from. You're, you're not going to lose right. any kind of pulling power. And the ironic thing is we gain it. When we're able to run in direct that we're gaining torque, not, not losing it. Right. So I wish we could get through to one of the engineers at Kenworth and Peterbilt or several of the engineers and get their heads out of the cloud and have them realize that 228s and 247s are the gears to go with. But uh, they're still stuck on running in double over. Yeah, you know, and, and the problem now is we're really almost looking at three different kind of groups of trucks with specs. We've got the older, um, you know, pre-emission trucks that we've been specking for a long time. 264 was kind of as high or low as we wanted to go there. Now we're looking at that 253 in some cases that might work. Then we've got the mm -hmm. engines that we can truly downspeed. And we're talking down into the 900,000 RPM range. Specking those is different. Then we have the newer modern engines like the pack car that can't really be downsped that much. It, we can't get down into those. So it's getting, you know, far more complicated to spec a truck these days. Okay. All right. So what else you got? Oh, guy shocked me yesterday. He's 68 years old. He's looking for a slightly used truck with one of the huge bunks on like a hundred and 33, 140 inch bunk. And my God, the prices he was throwing around 172,000 for a 379. But, uh, I think it was 1.3 million on the cat engine. Oh, no way. And then it was 200 oh. and some thousand for Cascadia with a huge bunk. Oh, with 600 and some thousand on a DD 15. And wow, I was just surprised at where the prices are. And the fact that he's 68 years old, I said, you know, you, you can't afford to make a mistake. I, anybody that, to me, is 50 and older, we can't afford to make a mistake when buying a truck because it can haunt you for the rest of your life. I agree, Bruce. That's a good point. When you start getting close to the end of your career, you should get quite a bit more conservative, just like we do with investments. We're not, you know, telling, you know, 55-year-olds to. Yes, I am. Yeah, I think we lost Kevin again. Ah, can you guys hear me? Wow. Hello? Oh, I have no idea what's going on. Um, huh. Can you guys hear me? Hello? I actually called back the last time. Hello? Yeah, we didn't do anything and he came back on, so I'm not sure what's going on. Okay. So I just while we're waiting... I. Oh, there he is. Am I back? You're back. I have no idea what's going on. 
it's not my equipment on my end. It must be an internet connection somewhere. Because it's just coming and going. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I should probably check. Um, It's just coming and going. There's nothing I can do. I just, I stand here and everybody says, oh, we lost him. And I keep talking and then I come back. But there's nothing I can do on my end. So Uh, hopefully it gets better. JR has some interesting things about N14. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I want uh, people to hear what JR has to say about N14. Got it. All right. So um, actually, it sounds like the problem might be on the phone itself because everybody's hearing all of us on the live stream. We're just having a hard time hearing each other once in a while. That's weird. Uh, I did see on my app there's a lot of solar activity going on. Maybe it's just sunspots. Um, Bruce, just one thing before I let you go. I uh, read an article this morning. The... uh, the EPA's out there hot and heavy again. They find a bunch of repair shops for selling emissions defeat devices. Um, they find a bunch of shops. So they're out there looking. It looks like they're yeah. mostly looking at the shops. Some of these fines are, you know, $100,000. Oh, no. One guy was $10 million. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. These were 10 million and jail time. Yeah. Wow. These were fairly small. This was uh, four shops all under a hunt between 50 and a hundred thousand or so. But um, yeah, they're out there once in a while checking for this. Kind of, oh no, wait a minute. Oh, there you go. I did find that one. Um, the EPA also won a lawsuit in the U S district court in the Eastern district of Michigan, which awarded a default judgment, granting a proposed $10 million civil penalty. Wow. Holy cow. And you know, when you go over to the Odessa Midland area and the oil patch, all those pickups are all deleted. Oh yeah, they are. And people were down there to. Pete and Bill were there to work a show, and they didn't even want to talk about the catalyst because we don't have emissions on our trucks. (laughs) Well, that could get expensive. Be very, very careful who you let mess around with your truck today. I mean, mean, you can run trouble free. Just put one ounce for every 25-gallon. Oh, by the way, uh, I did have a guy mix the mileage improver in gasoline, and that is a no-no. The mileage improver is strictly for diesel fuel, not gasoline. I'm glad you told me that. Just the max mileage. Yeah, just the max mileage goes in, can go in gasoline and or diesel, but the mileage improver. And when we come out with it, there's going to be two different max mileage, one with the mileage improver, one without. And on the bottle, it'll say for diesel fuel only. Got it. Got it. Good. All Um, right. All right. Well, Pete, I know you're there. What's on your mind this week? How you doing, Kevin? Good. Good. So a couple things. One is um, the winter blend max mileage is here in our shop. We've got a couple of totes of it to start off with. So we'll be bottling this week and we should have it ready for sale by next week. So anyone that wants to buy it, we're getting ready and winter's coming. Yes, it uh, is. They already got snow and mall. So that'll be ready. And then, you know, on that fine that you saw, the, the, the shop that got the fine 
once he got fined, he continued and he kind of had a fire cell. I think the IRA is involved as well. Holy cow. Or IRS. IRS. Yeah. IRS. Oh, who knows? IRA. It could be the uh, Irish Republican <laughs> Army. I'm not up. sure. <laughs> Probably, but yeah, yeah, the IRS is now involved, which is where they get people. I mean, you oh, that's can't get scary. That one. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. When when the FBI can't get the uh, the gangsters, they use the IRS to do it instead. Yep. So they're, they're really cracking down, and that's that's why we really, uh, when a guy calls the shop, we hey, is this delayed? If it is, we're not working on it. We're not going to bring it in. Um, and, and pretty much when when someone once repair work done, it's like one of the first questions we ask, especially in the newer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to really. See. And down in Odessa, we were talking to two girls that worked at a Chevy dealership. And if it looks like it's deleted, you automatically, they give you $10,000 less for the truck so they can put everything back on because they have to, to be able to sell it. Wow. So these guys that are, your trucks deleted um, and then trading it in, it's cost him ten grand on top of paying to get it done. Ouch! Oof! <laughs> yeah, that hurts. Uh, yeah. Expense. All right. What else you got? So, you know, JR is going to go over a couple things, and we've talked about this a couple different times about mixing and matching parts, and on the select versus select plus why it's such a problem. But we're seeing this on a lot of stuff. Um, not just that recently we've had a couple of those come in, but just on a lot of engines, the, the, the trucks don't have the right engines on there. The people that are buying it aren't aware of it. Uh, they need to ask more questions, um, get the VIN number, see what engine's supposed to be in there. Um, if there's an engine swap and it didn't go from, you know, six NZ to six NZ, that's kind of a red flag. Like, okay, why'd they put a five EK in there? Um, why'd they put an N14 in there? You know, see what's going on. And then same with the newer trucks, make sure they're not deleted. I had a guy that bought one that was deleted and he can't get anyone to work on it. Like, yeah, you can put it back together. So what's that going to cost? Well, we, you know, we don't know until we see what's been deleted. You know, I yeah. think I probably need to go into my course, the course on how to get started as an owner operator. I have a whole chapter in there on buying the truck and I have all the inspections we've been recommending for years, get the front end inspected, check out this, check out that. I have a whole list of things. I think I need to update that. And I think this is a good topic. I think we should probably talk about this more. Um, when I wrote that, we weren't really worried about deletes. Um, when I wrote that, we hadn't really encountered this problem of these Franken engines that are put together with a bunch of different parts or trucks with an engine other than what it started with. But that's a, that's something we should be paying attention to when we're buying a truck, new, used, old, newer. There are issues we should look for. Did they do a delete? Man, the last thing you want to do is buy a truck that's been deleted and not know it, and then find out the hard way. Uh, and it sounds like there are some dealers out there that aren't even checking that. I would, uh, I would think the bigger name dealers, the um, you know, the dealers that are tied to an OEM like a Freightliner dealer. Or, I would think they would absolutely check all that. They wouldn't even take trucks on trade in if they were deleted. But we have a lot of these independent, you know, sales yards out there that probably never even check. Don't even bother. 
So if you would buy a truck from a dealer and it was deleted, they have to pay to put it back together. Yeah, I would think so. So you would have yeah. to pay. And we did have a customer that bought the truck, wasn't where it was deleted, the shop wasn't, and, and they paid the bill um, because they have to. Yeah. Um, now, when I ask people this, it's all been bought from an independent person, and you kind of are beware, I guess, on, on that. Well, and there's much recourse you the other thing I would say is just because these dealers are required, if they sell it to you deleted, they're required to fix it. I wouldn't just go, oh, well, I don't need to check then. Because here's the thing. I promise you, if that dealer is forced to put that truck back together properly, it's not going to be a good experience. They're not going to get it in and out in a couple days. That thing's going to sit there and linger. And so don't, don't think, well, I have an out because it's their problem. It's not. If you buy that truck, that truck's now your problem. You're going to have to fight with them to get it back the way it's supposed to be, and it's not going to go well. It's like you even get the parts. Exactly. I still am waiting for one box. So you buy a CD15 without a one box on it. (laughs) You're screwed. You know, six months waiting for one. Yeah. And since I normally talk with you about supply chain issues because you're involved in it every day, that was one of my topics today I wanted to talk to you about. Um, the rail lines might go on strike by Friday. I didn't see that. Oh, big. This is big. They said if the rail lines go on strike, in order to make up for it, we would have to add 450,000 trucks. We can't add wow. any trucks. No, yeah, trucks, we can't add any, right. We can't add any. And in order to keep the supply chain moving the way it should, we would need 450,000 trucks. The article I read this morning said the guy predicted there's only about a 25% chance they won't go on strike. He said there's a, a, probably a 50% chance that they'll strike for seven or more days. And it's so fragile right now that exactly. seven days is really oh, yeah. in effect. Yeah. So where are the freight rates now? Are they going up or down? Um, they're going down, but they the drop has slowed down quite a bit. Uh, they're definitely down. In most years, these rates would still be good. We're not at the point where I, I would consider these bad rates. They're just much lower than they were a year ago and a little lower than they were two years ago. But there have been years far worse than what we're looking at with rates right now. And they're still dropping, but it's, well, we had, you know, the summer, um, we usually see an uptick in the summer. So we saw a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as we used to. That kind of held the rates up for a little while. Uh, I think the the drop is going to start back here pretty soon. And we're going to be, we're going to be in territory where a lot of owner operators and, and trucking companies are going to start hurting. It's already happening. I mean, there's already buyouts and mergers and bankruptcies. And I saw one the other day. I thought it might have been some sort of a bankruptcy, but really what it was is a family run business. They've been around for a long time, long before uh, deregulation. And Basically, what happened is there's just nobody left in the family to run the company. I'm not sure why they didn't sell it. It's pretty, you know, a couple hundred trucks. They just shut it down. And they basically said, we're going to shut it down now because we can sell our equipment at a profit right now. 
eh, easy way out. Yeah, that good truck. Let's quick sell. But selling our business can be tough and, and time consuming. Yeah, so they're just going to sell off the equipment and they're done. Hmm. All right. So on the supply. Yep, go ahead. Real quick. So I still have a customer waiting for a one box from June 29th. Still isn't in. Now, I just ordered parts for an N14 Select Plus. So it's like a 99 or 2000 truck and comes pretty much had everything. Cylinder kits, injectors, oh, cylinder heads, which is good. Yeah. So that's a good thing. So, and for a while there, we were having a tough time getting them. So right now, um, we have the parts to do this job, which is good. All right. Got it. All right. JR, are you lurking back there somewhere? Yes, sir. How you <laughs> there doing? you are. Good to hear from you. Great to have you back. What's on your mind today? So, uh, speaking of big money and deletes and stuff, this is actually on a truck that you can't delete, but Bruce, I was talking to him about the truck we have in the shop, which is very much Frankenstein together in a bad way, but, um, it's a select slash select plus N14. So he wanted me to, I guess, elaborate on how much difference there is between a select and a select plus. And Got it. I don't think anybody noticed how much difference there actually is. Got it. So we've um, got a, we've got a hybrid here, huh? Yes, and it's not the first one I've seen like this. The other one is like, the first one was truck had a select in it, and the guy put a select plus in it, and I think we had something like 45 hours in wiring time to oh. make this all work. Wow. Uh, so if that gives you an idea how much difference there is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I'm just trying to point out a lot of guys look at, oh, it's an N14 and N14 is an N14. And I'm like, no, they're not the same. The way the select is wired, they're almost, they're like semi-mechanicals. Um, like the Jake's whole switching system's different. Um, sensors are different. The ECM is totally different. So the truck is wired differently. Um, and when you start trying to mix and match this stuff, that's when guys realize, hey, this is getting expensive and why is it so hard to make all this work? And yeah, I, you know, I was shocked the the first couple stories Bruce told me about, you know, engine swaps when they were fairly similar. And you think, well, that's not going to be a big deal, but it is a big deal. You know, I think a lot of us go back to the mechanical days when you could throw any engine you wanted up there. I mean, you had a couple connections you had to make and they were all mechanical anyway. So you could throw it in there, look at it, know it was going to work. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. Because we have a truck in the shop that I don't know who did this. I'm pretty sure the truck originally had a select N14 in it. Now it's got a select plus block. And then the ECM had a, it looks like a select plus ECM, but the guts are select. Oh, no. <laughs> so now, and like I tuned this truck and the guy said, well, it still doesn't really seem to run right. And I'm like, well, okay, bring the truck in. We'll look at it. And it is a nightmare. It's going to be so many hours of rerunning wires and adapting all of this stuff to work together. It's not going to be good. Boy, every time oh, yeah. I, you know, I see a discussion on social media or somebody calls, we're just going to throw this other engine in. And I just say, you should stop right now and give up this idea. There are enough trucks out there to buy. We, we shouldn't be creating these Franken trucks. They are nothing but a problem. 
Yeah, and Cummins is really bad too about CPLs. So you think, oh, it's a new, you know, common rail, red motor, red motor, they're all the same red motor, right? No, they're <laughs> not. And even on newer trucks, the ECMs are so advanced that if you throw the wrong part on there, you know, it's a turbo. It looks like a turbo. It's the same as the other one. Mm, that computer can actually see the difference in turbo speeds and pressures and temperatures and say something's very wrong and start throwing codes. And you just made yourself a big problem because it's, you know, not the turbo that is matched with that program. And all of this stuff has to match up for it to all work right. And if it's not, they get upset and then you have a problem. Got it. An expensive one. Got it. And, you know, people need to understand the difference when you go to a shop. When you come to Pittsburgh Power, you guys have an engineering department, and this is what you do all day long. And you guys are good at it. You've developed fixes and improvements and upgrades, but there's a whole department of people that are doing this all day long. When you take your truck to a typical shop, who's working on your truck? It's, it's a truck mechanic that was taught this stuff after the fact. And they have enough trouble with the basics of electronics and when everything is right and factory and they, they have trouble then. I can't even imagine letting somebody like that loose with one of these trucks. What a mess. Yeah, the bottom line is if you rent this, just simply walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. If and if you're buying this. Right. And if you're thinking about doing it, don't. It never goes well. Not at all. Not at all. It's easy enough to avoid. Exactly. A few questions. Right. You get the answer and no, I need to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's a deal good enough out there to mess with one of these. It's just uh, such an unknown expense that that can occur. Right. Right. And, and like you said, if, if we need parts to make these things right, those are the kind of parts that seem to be the hardest to get stuff with chips you know, the mechanical parts, we're not having huge problems with those. It seems to be the newer, modern parts with chips. Did um, did you guys see the the uh, Cummins recall on... Well, let me see if I can find this. I had it up the other day. I was talking about it. On the... Um, it was an ECM issue. Let me see if I saved that somewhere, if I can go back and find it. My I had been saving it. Uh, to talk about it, and I never got to it, and now I think I closed it or deleted it. Uh, let me see. Looked like it was a fairly big problem. Um, yeah, here we go. Uh, faulty engine control modules, and this was what I thought was really wild. Cummins is recalling the engine control module. It's their part. That's a problem. 28 manufacturers use that engine control module. Isn't that crazy? A lot. Yeah. 28 manufacturers. I'm like, how could 28, how could there possibly be that many that Cummins is building engines for? But when you start thinking about, Big trucks, little trucks, generator sets, boats, all kinds of, you know, construction equipment, um, uh, buses. They went through it, fire trucks. They went through a bunch here. Um, turns out that the problem with this ECM is there's a screw in there. 
and the screw backs out and actually pushes through the circuit board and the truck stalls while you're driving. So you're going down the road at 70 miles an hour and your truck just stalls. Yeah, I mentioned just like the ECM on at that point. Yeah, yeah, it just wipes yeah. out the ECM completely. Then what they said was the truck will not start again until you replace the ECM and the fuse. They were When this thing goes, it takes the fuse, and they were finding out that shops were repairing. They were replacing the ECM because it was fairly obvious something was really wrong, but then the truck still wouldn't start, and they were forgetting about the fuse. Sometimes the simple things are overlooked. I know. Yeah, well, last week, forget what day it was, last Friday, I think, I went to start my show, and I had no audio whatsoever. And luckily, I remembered in troubleshooting, don't skip the really easy, obvious stuff. It was, not, it was a bad cable. That's all it was. And I, I'm thinking, how does a cable go bad? It's just sitting here on my desk. Yeah, we had a, an issue yesterday morning coming into work, and... Um didn't have uh, any internet. And part of the problem was with the um, power cord. Yeah. It was bad. We, yeah. Part of JR did the rest to get it going. What, what, what did we had a bunch of stuff. Any computer that was left on over the weekend had problems. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it's not a problem. With both the, the shop computers, I had to reset up Max Tracks, make all that work. Kathy's computer, the hard drive fried. Um, <laughs> Uninterrupted power supply. I'm guessing we were out of power for a while because I think it was holding the computer on until the battery died. Got that's it. Why it was mad. Um, once I fired that back up and it had power because I think it died and the power was still out, so it didn't automatically power back up. Once I turned that back on, then the server came back up and I had to again. Kathy's computer needed a hard drive Oof. and then all that reset up. It was a good day. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Putting in a new hard drive and everything that has to go with that is giving me a headache just thinking about it. Sounds like you might have got a big power surge somewhere. Well, it's just that one um, power switch that went bad. I don't, I don't huh. know. There really wasn't any major storms that I know of. Now, the storms here seem to be really isolated. Like, it'll, it'll rain at my house and my brother's five miles away and he didn't get it. Right. There could have been something here that nothing that I was aware of. Huh? Yeah, yeah. it wouldn't shock me. Lightning hit around here, and one knocked the power out, but also jolted everything. Right. That's what um, it sounds like. Was down. It, it almost died. I think. I think by driving it might be really messed up. <laughs> uh, all right. So, anything else? Anybody have anything, or do we uh, we want to get to some calls? But real quick, Kevin. So sure. last week, um, Bill and I went to meet with the folks at TA up in uh, near Cleveland. And on the way up on the um, on 80, uh, passed a car on the way to there and then on the way back. And it was, uh, let me find you. I took a picture of the vehicle. I hope I did. One of those uh, self-driving cars. It was um, Aurora. They're based in Pittsburgh. Okay. It was them. They were out on the highway testing. And they had a driver in it, but they were out there. And it was ironic as we passed them going up and coming back, same vehicle. And in fact, that they're based out of out of Pittsburgh. 
kind of neat to see that. Yeah, the um, I haven't heard much about it in the last couple of years, but um, the the autonomous industry almost kind of settled in Pittsburgh. I mean, a big part of all the autonomous companies and technology is there in Pittsburgh. And, and they're looking to possibly open up another one with uh, big enough that they can have a road course on there so that they can actually get, you know, more than just going around in what would be basically an empty parking lot. Right. Right. That, that's what they're looking through the next couple of years to have in the Pittsburgh area, which would be great for the economy. Yeah, sure, sure would. Yeah, I know a lot of the uh, early autonomous companies were there. A bunch have kind of migrated out to Texas, seems to be pretty big. And my guess would be the reason for Texas is all that flat land that they can use for tracks. Yeah, a lot more room, a uh, lot cheaper property too. Yeah, finding room to build test tracks in Pittsburgh, not easy and very expensive. Right. Yeah. For sure. Hmm. But I think your your universities there all have big programs too. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, I thought so. All right. Let's uh let's grab some phone calls. Let's get started in Massachusetts today. AJ, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call again. How's everybody doing? Good to talk to you. Good. What's on your mind today? So, I get a oil sample this morning, about after nine o'clock, and there's uh, just some uh, really any questions on. I just wanted to give an update. That's the one I took that I told you I was going to take when I got the uh, oil change at twenty five thousand after replacing the bearings. Right. Um, we thought those bearings uh, didn't have lead, but maybe another polymer, polymer. or bismuth coatings. Polymers, like right. Yeah. Yeah. So, four samples on there since I bought this truck. Um, the second sample, if you look at it, says zero on the lube time. It's like 75. Oil was changed at that time. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's different because I... Eric over at Pittsburgh Power on the phone one day kind of broke it down how to fill these things out when I submit them. So that's why it all got corrected. But uh, okay, good. So yeah, you're looking at oil changed on second, third, and fourth. That's why there's twenty thousand so, on the loop time, and then twenty five thousand. So twenty five thousand is after the bearings. So you replaced these bearings, right? Yes. Who did the bearing? And then I started showing them, red, which I never. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, oh, there we are. Who and I did, chose them because they had the pool. I, I'm saying, I, I missed the you there. We, uh, who did the bearings? A shop up in, in Maine that I chose because they had so, the tool to, um, yeah. to get the right torque on there. So my question is, could they figure out why the bearings failed? That'd be my big question because that almost never happens anymore. There's almost always some other mechanical reason why the bearings failed. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. There was no failure. This is the one where we uh, saw some increased. Uh, oh, well, let me ask you uh, this, right? And no, Did, and no lead. Were the bearings actually worn? Was there copper showing on those bearings? They shit. They. They, uh, they annotated on there that they were showing wear, not extreme wear, nothing critical. Um, I didn't see the bearings. They had, they had thrown them out and got the metal dent in. Since I picked the truck up, 
from the time I dropped it off and pick it up. So I didn't get to, they didn't hold them for me and I didn't get to see them. So, so I'm not sure if we're going to solve the mystery here is the problem. The mystery is why did this engine need bearings? Mystery. Yeah. It, and we solved well, one, we solved well, one of the mysteries. Well, how did a bearing fail without us knowing that it was going to fail? And the reason was there was no lead. There was a polymer. So copper was going up on its own. And forever, we would just say, oh, it's probably coming from your oil cooler. Don't worry about it. You can't have copper from a bearing unless you had lead from the bearing. Except we now know that that's not true. There are now polymer bearings on the market and i'm wondering if the labs i may reach out to the lab and see if anybody's working on testing for that polymer yeah yep and then so the other question the other uh thing that i saw here is i got one on the lead now that i got twenty five thousand miles in this oil and sample it, now right. i got a one on lead so then the question becomes, and we're going to have to go back to the people that put the bearings in and get the part number for the bearing they bought. And then we can go check. I, would I ass- bought the bearing. Okay. Well, then you have the part numbers. We should be able to check that- whether that bearing has lead coating or polymer coating. That's what I was, yep, that's what I was going to do when I, uh, yeah, we, I just got home a couple months ago. So, but yeah, that's what so I was going to do. But that's interesting. My, if I put bearings back in and I got lead, that's good because now I can follow the lead. Right. It, 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 yeah, exactly. Polymer I mean, these, these polymer bearings might be an improvement, but there's a problem with them right now in the easiest thing to predict in an oil sample. Hands down, you can do it with half your brain closed behind your back is a bearing issue. It's so obvious, and it happens the same way every time. You start to get lead. If you get too much lead, you'll get copper. We know it's a bearing. Now, all of a sudden, we don't know that anymore. Now we have to know, and I'm going to say this to everybody. If you own a truck and you're doing oil sampling, you should find out whether or not you have polymer or lead-coated bearings. Yep. Now, here's my question, uh, Pete. Bruce, jump in here and help me on this one. Um, without those bearings, did they take pictures of them at least? No. See, now we have to trust somebody saying, well, they had wear, but not a lot. Well, what does that mean? Because we have quite a bit of copper. So to me, that copper either came from someplace else, like an oil cooler, or it did come from the bearing. How many miles were on the, about 700 and some thousand? When I did, right. uh, yeah. Yeah, seven, seven, twenty something. 750 so, when I did the. Uh, Bruce, Pete, we know bearings just don't wear out anymore these days. When they do wear out, it's almost always something was wrong. So now I'm wondering, did we just put bearings back into an engine and we're going to wear them out again? Well, absolutely. And that's, you know, one thing that we like to do here is if there's a bearing issue, we lay the bearings out. I take a picture of it. Right. I can attach it to the cut file that we have referenced. Um, they have bearing failure analysis books that I'll refer to. And certain wear patterns will indicate uh, fuel, antifreeze, um, a hard start where someone hits the key in cold weather and just hits the throttle. 
and what happens, we don't have the lubrication and uh, the, the bearing starts to pull. There's a, a, a certain look to the bearing that you can tell, okay, someone fired this up without lubrication, whether it be out of oil or it was cold out and they just took off hard throttle, something like that. So uh, without going through the bearings like that, you just don't know what the deal was. Right. But my assumption is something was mechanically wrong with this engine because bearings just don't wear out these days. Correct. Unless there's fuel or antifreeze in there. Right. And if there was fuel or antifreeze that caused the problem, um, we never saw it. So I don't think it was an oil condition problem. I think it was a mechanical condition, a, you know, a warped block, a bent crank, something putting too much pressure on these bearings. Nope, I agree. And one of the, you know, you had mentioned about the, the bearings trying to find out what to look for. Uh, Cummins was, was pretty vague on their website. I didn't speak to anyone there. Um, when I spoke to someone I know at Detroit, they were very vague. Hey, I can't tell you much other than, yes, there's a change um, to it. And they're not using lead. But I don't, I'm not sure if anyone's willing to tell us what's in there so we know what to look for. Right. And we now need to know an easy way on any truck or any engine to identify which bearing is in there. And when we replace bearings, like this case, he replaced bearing, we have lead showing up. Did he get lead-coated bearings this time? And we need to know that. Right. And I would I'll get those part numbers and find out. Aren't going to have great. lead in, in... But what if it's an old truck that we know the D-Deck 4s had lead, but are the new bearings not going to have lead? <laughs> right. Are they going to continue? Right. Yeah. You, we I don't could know have... how we find out. Yeah, we could have the opposite happen. We could have somebody who's got an older engine and all of a sudden somebody's making a newer style bearing with no lead on it. How are we going to find this information out other than can you send a bearing somewhere to get it analyzed? (sighs) Boy, you would think, you would think that a part number would tell us this. Somebody out there knows. We can find out. We can try. Yeah. Yeah, somebody out there knows. Pete, have you had a chance to reach out to anybody at the lab? I, so I did as far as you and I spoke last week or week before about um, putting the year on oh, yeah. for the oil right. analysis. We're not willing to make any changes like that. Oh, you know what? I, 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 they're, they're an awesome company. We have dealt with them for a couple decades, and I just love them. I've taken courses through them. I've learned a lot. But this one issue of their paperwork that they won't change, first off, that form sucks. It's, it's awful. That thing could be redesigned to be so much easier to understand, so much easier to fill out, and we could put a year on there, which would also help when we're looking at it. Uh, you know, part of the problem when we talk about all of these issues around why don't we know which bearing is in there? Why aren't we testing for this polymer? Why weren't we even informed that something this big of an issue changed and nobody seems to know it? And the reason we don't know any of this is because the industry as a whole does almost no oil analysis. Nobody seems to care about oil analysis in this industry because almost nobody does it. So right now, if you have an X-15 and Cummins will let you do an extended drain, if you do oil analysis every 10,000 miles at their expense, 
but also they, they get to monitor your truck as you're driving it. So you're giving them some free information um, in exchange for that. And they will, I believe, take it up to 80,000 miles. Oil that sounds right. If you do an oil and Right. That's, so that's what I'm aware of that's willing to go that route with the oil analysis. Bruce, can you, when did you read your first oil sample? How long ago was it? Did we lose Bruce? We must have. So, I, you know, I started here in. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Bruce is there, but I don't know what's going on with my phone board yeah. today. People keep getting moved around uh, and muted. And um, Bruce, sorry, you were no, there. I had we just couldn't hear from in. you. Okay. I had a call come in that I had to take, so. Got it. Got it. So I called back. So anyway, uh, my first oil analysis was 1979. Wow. And I still have it. Do you really? I still have. I, yeah, I pulled them out yesterday to show another guy. I have about, it's about two and a half inches thick of oil analysis. So when um, you when you read that first oil analysis and you saw all the information in there, I have to believe that you got excited and said, this is a great way to be able to monitor these engines. We should be doing this all the time. And here we are uh, 53 years later. Is that right? No, that can't be right. 80, no. 40. 43. Yeah, 43 years later, and we still hardly do any oil analysis in this industry. You know, we did our ski boats. We talked about that. We also did the GM 350 diesel. Remember, they came out in 78? (laughs) We had one in a uh, a Pontiac Bonneville. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, did they run high on the iron. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they did. That's because they were eating themselves from the first time you started it up. That was a self-destruction engine. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, anyway, but but yet we still okay. we're we're still fighting with issues that the industry makes this huge change in a bearing, and it has a big impact on oil analysis. Yet nobody has any answers. Well, we'll have to see if we can find somebody. Uh, I could say all my contacts have retired or passed on. So, yeah. But I was, okay. All right. So, AJ. Well, I'll get the uh, part numbers. We'll go from there. Yeah. And from now yeah. on, we're just doing oil analysis, I guess. What do you even say? Every 25,000 and see what the 10. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I guess here's another question that I've never bothered to ask um, Is there lead somewhere else in this engine? Or is it only in the bearings? That's one of, that's one of the questions I was going to ask also. Thank yeah. you. Uh, is there something else in there with lead? The yeah. Can bearings? I, no? I, I don't know. I don't know because we've never dealt with it before. If we see lead, we just say, oh, well, that's a bearing, and it always has been. But now that he's got new bearings in and lead showed up all of a sudden at one, and, and I wouldn't be worried about his bearing at one, but is it coming from the bearing? And now, does he have lead bearings in here? We don't know. So, so we'll work on that. Yep. And what I'll, kind of engine? I'll be in October. DD fifteen. Okay. Twenty fourteen. DD fifteen. Okay. All right. So AJ so will. Uh, October. We'll do. Uh, some... I got a scheduled, so I will talk to Pete about that. Sounds good. And uh, we'll do an update on it next week if we find out something new. 
Yes, sir. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, looks like we're going to move on to another oil sample. We're going to go to Kentucky this time. Jarrett, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm actually in Tennessee now. Just crossed over. All right. But, uh, yeah, I did. I sent, I sent you an oil sample. All right. So we've got an ISX. What year is it? It's an 06. Oh, okay. So. I had some things flagged. I just wanted to get your input on it. Uh, does this have a fairly new in frame? Yeah, roughly 60000 on the in frame. Okay. Um, oh, what am I looking at here? Why are they saying... I was looking to see why their explanation of... I thought I saw something about coolant. Where did I see that? Um, okay. Now, here we go. Here's another weird sample based on what we were just talking about. So... Now I'm seeing lead on this one, so we must have lead bearings. Lead's at two last sample and three this time. Nothing to get too crazy about, but copper went from four to 63. Now our assumption again is that that's just coming from the oil cooler. Um, and if it is, we'll yeah. probably see some big number next time, like two or 300. And if that's the case, then you, well, just, okay. you just ignore it. It, 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 it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your oil cooler. In fact, every time I've seen this happen, there's nothing wrong with the oil cooler. It just leaches out of the tubing well, itself, the, and we never know when it's going to happen or why the, it happens. The oil cooler got replaced. Yeah, it's The oil cooler was replaced when the end frame was done, so it's practically new also. And that... Sometimes new coolers do it. Sometimes coolers with a million miles on it do it. It, it. There's no rhyme or reason. So for now, we'll assume your bearings are fine. The copper's coming from the oil cooler. But this would be another case where it would be nice to know which bearing we had, just so we're not guessing and wondering. A uh, couple other things. Um, your silicon number's been high. It was 14 last time. Uh, it's 11 this time. So when they flagged chromium, even though it's only at, it was three last time and four this time, that's really low, but we don't see chromium most often in oil samples. It's, it's a really hard metal. It doesn't wear like lead does. Lead's a really soft metal. So lead wears over time. Um, so it's not a high number on chromium, but that's probably being caused by the dirt. Silicon, when we see silicon in an oil sample, that's dirt, and it's abrasive. So we need to figure out where the dirt's coming from, but it could be just that we're still working through the, the contaminants from the in-frame. That's what I was wondering, if there would still be any at this point with... 60,000 on, yeah. on the end frame. Yeah, and especially the silicon kind of hangs out. It's hard to get rid of. Uh, I would probably, if you didn't do an oil change, I would do one. I did. I, I changed the oil at 25. I done the sample at 20 and changed it. I dumped it at 25. Okay. Now. What, what engine are we talking about? An 06 ISX. So you didn't do a thousand or two thousand knot oil change right after the rebuild? No, sir. The shop I 
Just thought that I went through, uh, suggested I just do normal. Then I learned afterwards that I should have dumped it earlier. But I didn't know at the time. Yeah. Are you a new listener? Uh, no. I'm we not. talk about this uh, uh, after after a rebuild. Uh, change the oil between one and two thousand miles, and then. Uh, we used to tell people years ago, change again at 8,000 and then going up to 15. I've done 10, then I went to uh, 25s after that. Okay. So that's not what it's supposed to do, but that's what I've done. That's where we're at. Okay. Uh, so, Don't also, forget. there's. Go ahead. En- engines have. Uh, copper thrust washers they're in air compressors they're in accessory drives they're in the uh some of them for the cam spacer turbos so there's a lot of places you can get copper you can brass brass the usually the sleeve which we call bearing in a turbo is usually brass but uh, sometimes they are copper and it shot up really high, really fast. Things like copper did. Yeah, and yeah. and again, it can shoot up much, much faster when an oil cooler fails. I've seen numbers like six hundred, just out of the blue. So when I see a lower number like yours, it actually worries me a little bit that. Could it be a bearing issue? And we don't have enough history here. Well, we do have history because this is an in-frame. Um, so we'll assume it's copper for right now, but we should keep an eye on it, that, it, that it's coming from the oil. Cooler. And then also, they did flag it, but there's a small amount of sodium and potassium on that sample. Is that anything to worry about? No. No, it's too low to even Does think about right now. All right, should I continue with the 20,000-mile sample, or should I do it sooner? What do you think? No, you're fine at 20,000. In fact, we, we probably want at least twenty or 25,000 to get a good reading on this. Very good. Anything else we can help you with? No, sir, that's all today. I all appreciate right. it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Hey, before you get started, um, I, I I see that I could put New Zealand back on my plan B list. They'll let me in now. Oh yeah, they're getting a little bit friendly as <laughs> a they get they get they getting some they're getting some pushback finally. So Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Paul. Yeah. Paul, did you make that cat walk on that two by four railing? No, nah, he does that all the time. He just likes showing off. So, because <laughs> <laughs> er, er, earlier in the day, he there's a that picnic table that's there. When he get to the picnic table, he jump down on the table and then he hop back on the rail. And it's like coming out off you saw on Facebook yesterday. Uh, Paul posted his cat walks along his two by four railing and just one paw in front of the other. So confident. <laughs> yeah. And I then turn around and it's like, it's like, it's like 25 feet long and 
then turn, get to the post and turn around. And if I stop beside him, he stops. And he's like a little <laughs> uh, puppy dog. So <laughs> there you go. He, he's a really good hunter. I, this time of the year, my wife, if she can turn the AC off, she'd turn it off. And so we've been leaving the doors open at night. And I get up the other morning and I'm walking across the floor and I say, oh, what the hell is that I stepped in? Well, look. It was only a half of a dead mouse, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so um, talking about bearings, when I was up there end of July, because I had that new uh, engine sump put on because those other people dented it, and my oil pressure had been... Actually, when I first noticed it was just before the Mid-America show, I noticed it had dropped down a little bit. So seeing we had the pan off it, I said, well, you got the pan off, check, pull a bearing cap off and check. Well, we had somewhere, so we put new bearings in it, and then off I went. But my oil pressure didn't really go back up to where it was previously. I've got about 12,000 miles since I left there. But I actually put a ga- I took a gallon of oil out and put a gallon of Lucas in there. And it didn't seem like the oil pressure changed even after putting the Lucas in there. So, But it's only reading about when the weather's real hot, still down south we're getting hot weather, uh, about 35 PSI. Pete, is there a plunger in that uh, ISX oil pump that we can shim? That I, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the ISX lube system to know that. Uh, I mean, he's still not hurting anything at, at that level. It, it is a few pounds off. And I don't know if we, when he was here, if we checked um, with a gauge to verify his gauge is correct. And that'd be something Brian might be able to answer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he checked that or not. So, yeah, because when when I when I got my ELD, um, you know, I, I used to have the uh, the scan gauge, but then the ELD it won't let me the coupling the fitting, you know, the, where they go together, it won't let me plug it in. So, I haven't had my scan gauge since then, so I couldn't even mind you. That only gets the reading off the ECM, so that probably wouldn't be any different, would it? Maybe. Correct. That's why we would put a separate gauge on there. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'll keep an eye on it and see what happens, but maybe I'll make another appointment, come back up there. So, yeah. But uh, also, talking you talking about chip shortages and everything. It's starting to show up again in the auto manufacturers. There's thousands of pickup trucks down there in Canton, Mississippi, and they're not shipping any of them. And the story I'm hearing is they don't have chips to complete the vehicles. So, yeah. Yeah, and if the rail lines go on strike, it could uh, really get ugly. Yeah, wait and see. So, because normally in the springtime, the manufacturers they want to get. The, the new product to the dealer quicker so a lot of, and there's always a 
rail, they're not the most efficient form of mode of transport. So the manufacturers in the springtime, a lot of the time they pay extra money to say, get those vehicles to the dealer. Well, they've been doing, some of the manufacturers have been doing that all this year. Um, so in, instead of loading Jeeps on the train up there at Toledo and sending them to Oklahoma and Texas, they've been sticking them on the truck. So, yeah. Well, it, it, so that you know, next we, week or so, there might be some real good money coming around. Yeah, if they yeah. go on strike on Friday, things could get really interesting because if if the prediction is we would need over 450,000 more trucks and we'll be able to add zero. If they go on strike on Friday, yeah. we're not adding zero. We're No new trucks are going to be on the road Saturday. And we're already fighting yeah. inflation and inflation is primarily driven by supply and demand. And inflation right now is being driven by shipping costs because it affects everything. And we're about to see shipping costs go through the roof. Now, not such a bad thing yeah. when you're an owner-operator. Rates will go back up again. Supply and demand will do that. I don't care what's going on in the economy. If we lose the rail lines, pr- rates are going up immediately. Well, that's a good thing on one side of the equation, but the cost of everything is going up with it again. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I got home on the Saturday of uh, Labor Day weekend, and my, my AC had gone out that Wednesday previous. So, you know, with the the bad service you get at most places these days or, oh, it'll be three days before we can look at it or they pull it off and then, oh, we can't get the part. I thought, I'm just going to do it old school, put the windows down. So I rode from Wednesday evening, all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, no air conditioning, 95 degrees outside, 105 inside. But I did have my generator to keep me cool at night. And then my AC, which is nine and a half years old, it's only been touched once. Uh, when they took the compressor off, it had a whole lot of metal filings in it. And then I just decided, it's like, I'm just going to take the rest of the week off and work on the honey-do list. And then I was all ready to go back to work yesterday. And my eastbound loads that I normally get, the Nissan stuff, sorry, we're not shipping anything. And then the Jeep stuff that I do in Texas, the boat had been delayed. It's meant to be there yesterday or on the weekend. Well, it's not going to get there till Thursday, so he won't get any of that till next week. So I might have another few days off yet. So because I'm not really worried with a payful truck and money in the bank. Following Kevin's advice, I'm not desperate to go to work to pull someone else's cheap freight just to stay working. So there you go. Yeah, that may change next week. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's hoping. So. Yep, we'll see what happens. Okay, I'll carry on. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go to Oregon. Alan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Kevin. I was listening to Friday's show. Uh, I heard it yesterday on the rerun, and um, you and Joel were talking about what a not good combination on a new Volvo with the 512 speed 308. Um, I was wondering why, and is there any time that would be a good combination? Um, no, not really. At, not with that. It see 
the, the whole point of that engine and, and what Joel focused on, what he developed, was that engine is meant to be downsped. It's meant to be downsped. It, it wants to run way down low in the RPM range. It's where it's most efficient. And what that allowed us to do is, for the first time ever, I can't remember being able to do this, we're able to spec a truck that can run in three different gears at the top. That's how wide of a range we were able to create by gearing and specking the truck to be able to run in overdrive and still have two more gears to get to above that. So you have this big wide range, but when they specced it with this 308, you're, you're just, there really isn't a good reason to do this. That's not a good setup for that engine. You're not downsped. You're kind of stuck somewhere in the middle. Now, I, I, I'm not saying there isn't a place you could run this truck that wouldn't be efficient. You might be able to. The difference there is you're, you're limited. You're very stuck. You have this small speed range where you can be very efficient. When it's geared properly, you have a big, wide operating range where you can stay efficient. Does that make sense? Did we lose the call? We did. We lost that call. Uh, yeah, we lost the call. He's gone. Uh, we'll see if we can get him back. In the meantime, let's go to Wyoming. Patrick, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. Hey, so I got a customer out of Utah, Bruce and, and Pete, that brand new truck, 100,000 miles on it. The DPF cracked, was plugged full, cracked. Peterbilt replaced it. Um he puts about 13,000 on that new DPF filter that comes up on the dash that it's plugged again. He's not running catalyst and he's going to, my question is, could it be the seventh injector injecting too much and clogging things up? Or does he maybe have an injector on the engine that is failing? at that 106,000 miles on the truck. What's your thoughts? Is JR still on with us? He is. Yeah. Hey, big boy. Um, yeah. Hey, you could, uh, he, he could have either one of those. What year is the truck? Okay. It's a brand 22. New. Yeah, brand new, 100,000 miles, bud. And I guess I should have just called you, but... Uh, I know there's other people out there having problems like this too. So go ahead. There is no seventh injector on those trucks. They just use the six injectors on the, in, in the engine. Um, okay. But yeah, you, turbo seals can cause that. A uh, messed up injector can definitely cause that. I mean, if you got an injector that's leaking, not necessarily enough to hurt the engine, but it will make soot and smoke. Okay, well, and then the other thing is on his left stack on that 389, because I, and I asked him probably 50 questions on Saturday when he called me. Um, on the left stack on that 389, that son of a gun has got death running down it just about all the time. So I guess no seventh injector, but there's got to be, it's got to be a doser injector, right? Doser valve. Oh, yeah, DEF and Doser does that. That's after so the could we, Right. So could we be having a Doser injector problem 
maybe behind it, but in front of it, we've got an upstream problem. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure this out, and I'm afraid that Peterbilt's kind of jerking them around a little bit. And and I know that's unheard of, but, you know, we're just going to go with that. I mean, you could have problems if there was enough D, like crystallized DEF in the exhaust that it's actually making restriction, but eh, there's too many sensors in that system. It would be upset about it all the time. You'd be throwing codes for, you know, DPF outlet pressure being high. And Okay. Uh, I want to get them on the catalyst after they figure this out and then get them on that for about six weeks and then and then get them back in and, and, and get a tune on that X-15. But I don't want to do too many things at once. I think I think that's just suicide at the end of the day because then we don't know what works. Yes. So, yeah, and I knew you'd agree with that. So I just don't know that Peterbilt's looking in exactly the right spot card. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Any other ideas? Um, I would hook up to it with a computer and run a cylinder performance test. Uh, okay. That test is obnoxious, but it does a pretty good job of seeing if there's anything that's not performing correctly cylinder-wise. Um, okay. Uh, overhead being set wrong, also possibility. So yeah, overhead being set wrong right out, of the, right out of the box, JR, do you think that would do it? Yeah, it's possible. Okay. Not likely, but well, that's possible. Something I, and that's something again, I, I hadn't thought about. about. A cylinder performance test, I think, would show that. Okay. All right. Well, he I'll be home tomorrow. Go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. Has he, has he done any oil analysis? Not yet, and that's what we were talking about over the weekend, too, so no, not yet. But if, he, if he would have, say, high soot in there, which could indicate an issue with the injectors or an overhead, uh, it would definitely be worth doing. So a little more information that might help the shop out. Okay, so, so once Peterbilt clears the truck, and I'm just asking this, uh, once Peterbilt clears the truck, should I get them over and do a cylinder cutout test on that thing real quick and just kind of see what, what's cooking with that deal or, or and with, before I put them on the catalyst? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. At the shop, I would normally say I do a cylinder performance test. Um, if that all came up, everything looks good, then I would be pulling the downpipe off the turbo and just doing snap test and checking for smoke. Um, Okay. If there is if there is any smoke, then it's you got to like pull the turbo and probably the manifold and isolate which cylinder it's coming from. But I I tell you, Patrick, if you don't if you if you're chasing a ghost and boy, you you're good at finding these these problem trucks. Um, <laughs> are, are they well, finding you? Find <laughs> <laughs> they're good at finding you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, I would try the catalyst because there might be a sensor that it clears up and the problems go away. And we've seen that over the last three and a half years that, uh, problems that nobody could find the catalyst found and cleaned it up. So well, I don't know if I, I didn't want to go ahead. 
Now, I don't know if I would wait and uh, to wait for a dealer to find it because you might be chasing this thing forever. Well, and that's what I'm scared of. And this, this guy's out hauling cattle, so he's had to already give two loads of cattle back or, or have somebody else take his trailer on. So every time he does that, you know, it costs him seven, eight, ten thousand uh, yeah. plus, $10,000 plus the warranty time at the dealership and whatnot. So it, it, it's, just a, it's just a goat rodeo and a half. And if you've ever tried to rodeo goats, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the other thing is uh, Paul, Paul brought the fact that he can't use his scan gauge well that the the manufacturer of that eld guys should make a y cable that plugs in behind the dash above uh where his nine pins at and he should be able to power the scan gauge that way so and if he doesn't tell him to call me or he can just call me at the house and i think i've got like four or five of them i can mail him one there you go. Okay. Love that. But hey, back back to that that cattle hauler. Uh, yes, next time you get it out of Peterbilt, I'd get it on Catalyst right away and just to see if it fixes it. Okay. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that. You He's know, supposed to call me sometime today. So Everybody in this field has chased problems and chased problems. And uh, so... Sometimes it doesn't pay to chase just to try different things and try the catalyst and see what happens. It, you might well, notice that the first load, the first load, it might fix this problem. Well, and that's what I keep, that's what I keep leaning towards. Like I said, I didn't, I, I want to give them a tune, but I don't want to do too many things at once to skew the outcome yeah. of, of what we're trying to do. So, uh, but well, that's, that's let's a great idea. Let Jr. do his test, but yep. put it on a catalyst as soon as you can. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, good enough, fellas. Thank you very much, and uh, uh, have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks for the call. All Let's right. head off to Texas this time. Brian, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call, Kevin. Um I got a question for you, but, and the fellows at Pittsburgh power. So, uh, um, Bruce and Pete, this is Brian. I just ordered your manifold turbo and OPS and, and it got, it got delivered yesterday. Um, okay. can, can y'all hear me? Man, okay, that's great. Yep. That's, so, um, that's like Christmas yeah. in September. Right, right. Well, yeah. And then I just got called back to the terminal, my load push. So I'm, I'm about to go do this, I think. But, um, you know, this little card that comes with the turbo says that I need to replace the, the supply and return lines or avoid the turbo warranty and, um, and also to change the oil. So uh, I, I need some direction here on what, would, what I would, should install first. And, Kevin, I just took a – I ordered your oil sample kit. I just got set up with Horizons Good. yesterday, and they just, they just uh, emailed me my approval thing. So – I took a sample yesterday because um, this truck used one gallon of oil in 10,000 miles. And before I added a, a, another, a, a gallon of oil, I wanted to get an oil sample and send it off to you because I want to see where this truck's at. Okay. You know, like, so let, so is, that, is that enough mi miles? And then I, I, I wasn't <sighs> listening to the miles. How many miles were on it, the oil? 
10,000. Uh, it's just it's barely it's enough. Fir- it's my first. Yeah. Here's, okay. It's my here, first, yeah. first run. More oil samples are better than fewer. The more history we have, the better we can learn. So 10,000 isn't, you know, great, but it's a start. So I'm glad you jumped in and you got started on this. I do want to address one other thing. And I'm not sure, so I'm going to ask. When you took the sample, you said it needed a gallon. Did you take it before or after you put the gallon in? Before. Okay, so here's what we don't want to do. We want to be consistent about how we take our sample. And the best way is always when it's topped off. So the way I would have done that, if I wake up, I check my oil, it's a gallon low. I'm going to put a gallon in, I'm going to run it all day, and at the end of the day before I shut it down, I'll take my sample. Okay. So what happened is... Why is that, Kevin? Why do you want to top it off? Because we... We just skewed all of the numbers. Remember, almost everything is reported in percentages. And now we're in 10 gallons of oil instead of 11. And that is going to make a pretty big difference in the readings. So now you could be consistent by always doing it a gallon low, but I'd rather not. You know, I know you did it once, but let's let next time let's switch. Let's do it when it's at the full mark. And then always do it when it's at the full mark. Otherwise, we're comparing apples and oranges. We'll look at a sample and go, wait a minute, why did your soot go up? Well, your soot really didn't go up. It's just in less oil. So the percentage is now higher. Okay, I understand. I can take a, I can get a sample with it. So I just topped it off today. The, I, can use, I can just the, uh, get a sample with it full. That's what we need to do. Well, I wouldn't do it now. I mean, 10,000 was a little early. I would actually wait till 25,000 now and do a sample with it full. And like I said, the best way to do your sample is run all day, take it at the end of the day before you shut it down. If we look at wear metals, Bruce, wear metals are always shown in parts per million. So you could take a sample at a gallon low run the truck all day, take another sample full, you're going to get very different readings on your wear metals. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, well, the reason I wanted to get a sample is because I wanted to see what shape this, the engine is in, in this truck. I don't have any history on it. No, it's that, got over that, a million miles. Yeah. It, it's good that you jumped in and got started. We've got the first sample, but let wait till 25 now and make sure you're always taking your sample when you're topped off and the engine's been running and is nice and hot. Uh, okay. Hey, 25 one, one, tw- yeah. 25 once I get the OPS installed. Uh, or, yes. 25,000 on that oil. Are you planning on changing the oil when you install the OPS? Well, that's my question. Is I'm, I'm going to install the manifold. I'm going to install the turbo. Oh, wait a and minute. And I'm going to install the OPS. There was, well, I got to go back to that. Bruce, I don't know about this replacing those supply lines and changing the oil to make sure yeah. you have the warranty on the turbo. What's the deal with that? I don't, I don't either. So, Peter, are you familiar with that piece of paper? No, but I don't open up boxes of turbos, but it's not something we do in the shop. Brian, don't worry about changing that. 
Okay, and and I don't need to worry about changing the the supply lines either, or the oil. No, no. I, you can change the that. oil. You've got ten thousand. You've got ten thousand on it, and this is a fairly new truck to you. So do an oil change, but don't change the turbo feed and the turbo drain line. So if you are okay. going to and, change the oil, then twenty five thousand after that change, we take our sample. Okay. Okay. But okay. So and burning a gallon, Brian, Brian, burning a gallon in 10,000 miles on a 2003 cat, that's no oil consumption. Don't worry about that. That's completely normal. Cool. Cool. Great. That's that's new. I want that's (laughs) great. (laughs) So, um, so let me just uh, make sure I understand. Uh Oh, or is it 25,000 with just, uh, you know, not having the OPS? Brian, we lost you there for a second. Say that again. Hello? Hello? Yep, Brian. Hello? Okay, so I just wanted to cl- make sure that I understand. Yeah. Hello? 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 Brian. Hello? I can hear you, Brian. We can all hear you. Okay. 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 So, um... I just wanted to make sure that it's twenty five thousand w- once the OPS is installed, right? Not, but it's like less than that if I don't have the OPS installed, correct? Yeah. So here's what we're gonna do: we go ahead and change the oil. Then twenty five thousand miles after that oil change, take your sample. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. That that uh, uh, and then. Can I ask a, just a couple more questions about the, um, the the torque specs? I don't really know what kind of turbo I have. This piece of paper has torque specs for several different models of the turbocharger, and I don't know which one I have. Is there any? So I, I can help you with that. So on the uh, clamp, so you have to indicate the turbo. You'll, you'll fold it to the manifold. And then you're going to have to line up the drain feed line and the compressor housing. That nut gets torqued to 10 foot pounds. Now, what you want to do is torque it. And we would use a fat brass punch and tap around the clamp and retorque it. You're going to find it's going to loosen up. And you'll do that a couple of times before when you finally torque it, it doesn't move anymore. So the two clamps are 10 foot pounds. The Turbo mounting nuts or bolts are 35 if you could even get a torque wrench on those. In some applications, you can't, and you kind of just do it by feel. Okay. Okay, and then it says to uh, – how about the, the studs for the block? It says to use the nut to to torque it down, right? Is You know, the, the 7 12 12-point 12 socket, just put that mm-hmm. on there with a torque wrench and torque down the – the bolts and then take the nut off and put the manifold and gaskets on, you know, and then just sort retorque it. Yep. Just like the instructions say, I think it was 55 foot pounds. Is that correct? I think it's what the uh, instructions say. Yeah. It said 50 something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we do 55 there. Okay. Okay. Perfect fellas. Um, I really appreciate all the, the feedback. So, uh, you know, I hear, we're getting we're just getting started here so there you go all right we'll look forward to hearing back from you um 
Bruce, you know, you mentioned, you know, a, a 03 cat oil, gallon of oil at 10,000, completely normal. We've done that forever. I had a call the other day, a 12.7 Detroit, just over a million miles on it, zero oil consumption, none. Amazing. I know. I know it's just yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We are, uh, we're all out of phone calls. Anybody have anything they want to wrap up with? I can tell you on the four liter twin turbo Audi engines, they tell you they do use oil. Do they really? I went, uh, yeah, 2,700 mile and had to put a half a quart in. Wow. Now, see, that to me seems odd. 7,000. We. 7,700 miles on the engine. Yeah, that to me seems odd. We've always said diesel engines burn oil. They always do. Brand new. Doesn't matter. But I've said the opposite about cars for like, 30 years now cars don't use yeah. oil anymore cars haven't used oil in yeah, decades and now and all of a sudden we have a new way, car no that does stick. what yeah and there's no dipstick you have to go in to the computer on a dash really and, and uh have to be a computer wizard to find the oil level. <laughs> oh, man. i wonder why it burns oil They go like they make a lot of horsepower for their size and they go like hell. I was just going to say, did they just push it so far on the performance that that's why it's burning oil? Is that what you were saying, JR? Yeah. Ring gaps. Yeah. Ring gaps are very big. Boost numbers are rather high. Power production is greatly exaggerated compared to, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even. Got it. Got it. Just. Kevin, it's four liters, so what's that, 264 cubic inches or something like that, making 450 horsepower, and they have one version that makes uh, 550 horsepower out of four liters. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of power out of that little engine. You know, the problem with this, though, is we have now conditioned people to not check their oil. Nobody checks their oil anymore. And how long would you spend looking around on this car to find a dipstick? That would have made me a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no dipsticks. I'm old school. I I still want a dipstick. (laughs) And I like to pull out a dipstick and look. Now, you know, the Sprinter has a, a graphic display on the dash in front of you, and it actually does show the oil level. But here's the, the nice thing yeah. they did. That's the first screen that pops up when you turn your key on. I shouldn't have to go looking for oh, that. Yeah, if you're going to take away the yeah. dipstick and make I, me dig through menus to find it, just display it when I start my car in the morning. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up. So here's what we're doing with the pit today. It looks like I'm flying solo. I haven't heard from John or Stanford. Um, We're going to launch the pit in about 30 minutes. I'm going to go make some notes. I said I didn't have any real topics today, but uh, I have a couple ideas. I'm going to go see if I can put some things together. If not, it's going to be kind of a political free-for-all today. So maybe a short show. It'll be up to you. Go ahead, Bruce. I got one. I got one short thing. You know, sure. they've had some snow in Wyoming, 
And so the phones are ringing, wanting to know about the owner-operator snowmobile conference. Ah. So I've uh, my my partners in this is Josh Schaefer from Turnaround Transport in Moberly, Missouri, and also Mike Lane, owner-operator out of Ogden, Utah. So we are in discussions of where we're going to have it and when we're going to have it. Got it. So, well, that's exciting. We're already thinking about it, already talking about it. You know, that's what happens when you get that early snow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure uh I'm sure I'll be hearing about that from Aaron here soon. Oh yeah. yeah there you go. All right. <laughs> that should do it. We're gonna wrap this up. We will see you in thirty minutes, ten o'clock here on the West Coast for the pit. And uh a lot of it will be up to you today. I'm going to go put some notes together, but uh, pick up the phone and call me. We'll make it a political free-for-all here in about 30 minutes. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.